Welcome to the Staying Free podcast. This podcast seeks to give a voice to real people around the world who are attempting to stay free, stay sovereign, and stay sane in a world which is changing faster than ever. In this episode, I talked to Aldous Naus. Aldous goes by a pseudonym, which I totally respect because I think that anonymity is really important in these times. He has some experience in the pharmaceutical industry as well, so he is uh, an interesting person to talk to about this. But more so than that, Aldous has a lot of important insights and he obviously thinks from first principles, which is something that I gathered from reading his tweets on Twitter as well. So I think that this conversation is something that a lot of people will connect with. I do have to apologize again that the conversation is coming quite late. You'll notice that we discuss uh, vaccine passports being a thing in the UK. That has since been revoked. So this is dated by around about two months. We recorded the conversation towards the end of December. I am trying to close that gap and future episodes should be released much closer to the time that they're actually recorded. But that said, I don't think it takes away from the conversation. I hope you enjoy it. If you have any feedback, reach out to me on Twitter. Aldous, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Johnny. I'm delighted to be here. Very excited. Yeah, before we go too much into this, um, where did the name Aldous News come from? Oh, I think it was just um, ties in with, with the handle I had there about Brave New Orwell. So some of the most inspiring literature I grew up with was Brave New World by Aldous Huxley and some of the works of George Orwell, particularly around sort of 1984, which is very relevant for today. And as I was coming up with the name, Aldous was going to be in there somewhere, Orwell was going to be in somewhere, and it just kind of fell out of that. Nice, yeah. I, I like the uh, the fact that you've kind of gone down the anonymity road there. And if you look at it, I think if you look at the avatar, you look at the picture as well, it's also a face merge of the two guys as well. So that's actually George Orwell. Oh, is it? Oh, I didn't... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't notice that. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. So so um, how did you kind of find yourself, just to, get, just to kind of give a brief intro of, of how I know you, uh, as is quite common with these uh, with my podcast guests, it's uh, through Twitter. So, you know, you've been putting some um, really good takes out there and, uh, you know, I wanted to come and have a chat. So um, how did you find yourself uh, entangled in this whole kind of freedom movement? Um, I think it was probably about somewhere around this time last year and throughout the summer last year, you know, just increasingly um, felt uncomfortable with the way things were developing. It didn't feel like we were being led in an honest way. I was very skeptical about the pandemic. You know, one minute we're all going to die, and the next minute we're eating out to help out. <laughs> it just flip-flops. And then I've not really had, I don't really use social media. I have no other social media accounts. So I was reading Twitter through the back end of the summer. And then as we, it was announced we were going into lockdown again, which was around about the 5th of November, that's when I personally thought, I just rather than just reading the conversation, I felt like I wanted to be more of a part of the conversation. So actually my first ever social media account was this one and it was started 5th of November as we went into lockdown for the second time last year. Right, okay. Um, and so obviously since you've got this, this name, um, which is based upon Orwell, presumably before this period you were already interested in, in kind of dystopian uh, literature and other things. Yeah, so, yes. uh, <laughs> or prophecies as we now call them. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And how does it compare then where we are now to kind of the things that you've you've been reading? Well, I think it's just growing up with it and sort of touching on some of these books. And you look, look at Aldous Huxley and Brave New World. It was always about 
a society that was designed, a society that was engineered, where everybody's position and role in society was predetermined. You were given a, a role, a function, and you, you know, you were you were led to that role. Uh, at the same time, it was just rampant consumerism. It was really sort of a mindless, empty life where you just fulfill a role. And there's elements of that in today's society. But I suppose what's really blown up is the whole kind of totalitarian worldview of something like 1984, where you have you know a one-party state, you have the, the big brother, the censorship, you have the destruction of history, you live in a constant now, we just your life is just one big lie. And it's just funny how those two narratives sort of come together in a strange way. And, you know, I preferred it as fiction, if I'm honest, <laughs> but it seems to be that we're moving towards this, this, new, this new world, this new world order, this new reality. There are elements now that are, that are coming out of the pages and coming into real life. Um, and I think that's where my thinking, that's where some of my context came from. That's where some of my history and thinking came from. But we're now seeing it. It's, it's really starting to happen. And I think it's at an alarming rate as well. And, and pretty much not so much the, the brave new world side of things, though that is definitely uh, will become, I think, more of a feature in the future. But certainly where we are now in terms of a, a one-party totalitarian state with one version of the truth and one narrative where people are penalised and marginalised for not going along with a party, we seem to be moving in that direction. I'm interested to know what your political beliefs, uh, like where, where do you kind of position yourself politically? Would you consider yourself to be a, a libertarian or, or a centrist or, or are you not kind of too strong either way? Yeah, certainly when it came to, comes to party politics, I've never really um, got heavily involved. I, I, I think throughout my life earlier, I probably voted more Liberal, you know, Liberal Party in the UK and a bit of Labour. I think I voted Tory once in my life and I've stopped voting probably the last two or three elections. I'm very disillusioned with the process. So I would say party politics, no strong conviction at all. I'm very, very sceptical of party politics. As a person, as a set of values very much around, I would say, a libertarian and freedom. I think our, our ability to choose our life and, and having the opportunity to do that is very, very important to me. So probably around that sort of libertarian set of values. But even that, as, as a name and as a reference point, comes with challenges because people will view it differently and attach different meanings to the word libertarian. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in this kind of recent period, it's become quite evident to me that we used to kind of live in a situation with each other where even though we had different political beliefs, um, you know, as you were saying, you could be kind of conservative and you, you might vote Labour or whatever it is. Maybe maybe you go Lib Dem here and there. But it was like you could always kind of just get by with whatever the, the party in power was. Might not be your ideal, but, you know, you, you had your basic freedoms respected to some degree. I know that that's kind of a, a bit of a strong statement. And, you know, people who are very strong on the libertarian side, <laughs> including myself, um, you know, would um, maybe even disagree with that. Um, but relative to where we are right now it was kind of possible to kind of live amongst your your neighbors who voted differently for you would you agree that right now um that just seems impossible it's kind of like our political differences have really bubbled to the surface surface in a way that um is impossible to kind of reconcile um in, in a sense it's kind of like we have crossed this kind of 
Rubicon now into a situation where one group of people is attempting to take the rights of another group of people. And that has kind of become something that's a bit of an impasse, really. Absolutely. I think part of the reason I never felt that political is I never saw too much risk or danger in, in politics. You know, they could occasionally tweak some things, you know, they might raise taxes, they might invest certain things differently. Um, but really, in terms of damage limitation, it couldn't have much of an, it might have an, an impact on your intellect, it might trigger you or make you angry or make you believe in certain things, but not really much of an impact in terms of your day-to-day life, you know, um, whereas what we're seeing now, how this is manifesting, we're seeing fundamental differences in the way we live our lives because of a political process. You know, we're seeing things mandated. We're having rights removed. This, this is very real. This is not a, a political argument in a pub over what you think about Jeremy Corbyn versus, you know, someone else like Keir. This isn't a political debate anymore. This is a very, very real situation. It's having real consequences. Um, and party politics for me at the moment, doesn't exist. You know, the political process that has been around since all, you know, all, all days, it seems to be broken. It feels like more of a functional dictatorship, right? We, we have a, a small cabal of people, institution scientists, who are just making up policy or making decisions on the earth. And the irony is that the, the government as it currently exists is actually, or a conservative government, is actually being propped up by a Labour opposition. You know, in, in a true political environment, and the one I recognise, uh, someone like a Keir Starmer had the, had the ability last week to destroy Boris Johnson's career. He, he could have brought down, if not a prime minister, or certainly a major part of the government, if he decided with some Tory rebels, um, they could have got rid of, they would have not voted for vaccine passports, they would have broken down this narrative. He had his balls in his hand, really, and he could have, he could have ended Boris Johnson's career. Now, I don't think of any other time in history where, you know, supposedly political opponents would just give their opposition a free card, and not only a free card, but actually support them. And that was a bit of a, I'm still struggling to process that, in the sense that why didn't he just stop it? Even, even, even if he didn't believe in the policy, the political benefit, the political capital of bringing down your political opposition surely would have been too hard to resist. Yeah, completely. I mean, you know, you could compare this to sport and you can imagine like if someone, you know, is, is on the opponent's goal line yeah. and has the ball and they decide to miss yeah. and it's very obvious that they've just missed um you know the winning goal Johnny, he, he didn't even you know it's not like he swung and he missed he didn't even swing his leg he was two yeah, yards yeah, out yeah. goalkeeper's flat on his back <laughs> rather than side foot it in the net he turned his back and walked away he didn't right, do anything right, right. he didn't take a swing and this is the thing if that happened in sport you would you would say okay who's bought this guy you know who who's this guy yeah. working for right like this is not someone who is playing for their own team. And I think this has been evident to a lot of people now, which is just how much of a farce politics actually is. I mean, you were saying that you've not voted in the past three elections. It's it sounds like you were actually um, kind of on the leading edge of that, because I actually think that next election, they are going to have such a terrible turnout. I mean, unless there is a serious party standing against um, 
you know, kind of vaccine passports and stuff, which is probably the only thing that's going to get people like me to the voting box. I certainly um, won't be voting for any of the major parties. Um, and even if one of the major parties um, was um, going on that platform, if it was Labour or Conservatives, I just wouldn't believe it. I fundamentally wouldn't believe them. Well, so, manifestos yeah. are meaningless. I mean, everything that's been, everything that's happening now, nobody voted, well, maybe a small percentage of people did, but nobody voted for this. And I don't just mean vaccine passports. I mean the whole kind of green COP26 type like policies where we're seeing other, you know, threats of restrictions around travel, heating, fuel, all of these things. We seem to be living in a, you know, the, the, these um, political policies have not been born out of a manifesto, have not been voted on. They've come from somewhere else. So any politician that stands up now and makes a commitment to you, what are you going to believe? Why, well, you're just not going to believe them. They, they have no accountability to what they're like. You could argue they very rarely have, but they seem to have zero accountability now yeah. to what they promise they can do anything. And there's no opposition to, to, to stand in the way. Right. And famously, you know, Boris Johnson um, said that if anyone asked him to show his ID card, he would eat it. In front yeah. of him. That was something he said, you know, he was such a supposedly staunch libertarian so it's almost like you had the one person who, if you could pick any politician and say, yeah. who's going to be the one person who would stand against this stuff, you'd pick him. The fact um, that Boris has gone down this line clearly shows that power resides in other areas. It does not reside amongst our politicians. Um, you know, there is um, kind of shadow power that exists and there's many you know, places where you could ascribe that to. But it's very clear that our politicians are completely useless. You know, there is an agenda that's bigger than... Um, what anyone can possibly vote for. Same in Wales, same in Scotland, same in, you look at the mayors and the mayor of London, they're all, they're all singing from the same hymn sheet, you know, and the real concern is what, you know, it's not a conspiracy theory to think of it like there's a hidden hand, that there's something else that is coordinating behind the scenes, these supposedly different political aims and political parties. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, what can you do about it? I mean, you talk about, who would you vote for next time? The, the, why, why would there even be an election? If a political process is broken now, you think of where this country's come in two years. We've gone from laughing at the idea of being, you know, vaccine passports, it's all a crazy conspiracy theory, to probably in the next few weeks having to show, you know, show an app with your personal ID to probably get in a bar, to be frank. That seems to be the way it's going. If we've got to that in two years, why do you think yeah, it's, 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 it's already it already is there though? Well, yeah, it's there now for big events, and it'll probably be for small events. And it's there for pubs as well, right? Is it? Yeah, it, it happened to me on um, the the day before the protest. It literally happened. Um, I got rejected from a from a bar. Oh, did you? Yeah, because I didn't have my uh, my NHS app or, or or a test. Like I didn't, uh -huh. I couldn't show proof of vaccination or a test. It's, it's already come in because I, I was on the same page of you. I actually thought this stuff was coming in in January, but it came in like instantly after the vote. Yeah, I've not seen it. I mean, I don't have the app and I've not been anywhere. I'm, I just won't go anywhere anyway. But yeah, unless this business was was going rogue and doing it, I haven't even bothered to check because to me, it just it I, I just don't care. And I try to just yeah. protect my own sanity by not keeping up with what the latest rules are. I'm just like, I just live my life and I cross the bridge when I come to it. But I, I did have to cross that bridge. So you know, unless that business was, you know, just going above and beyond in uh, in being fascist, then uh, I think it's already in. So, you know, if we've if we've travelled this far in two years, 
And, you know, you pause and think, well, what would it look like in two, two to three years' time? Why would, a, why would we have an election? Why would an election look even anything remotely like it looks today? You know, what would be the restrictions on who can vote? You know, you know why wouldn't you link a COVID, COVID pass to your ability to vote? And then that would be tracked and traced as well. I mean, there's, there's, there's a whole bunch of things in there that if this political process is it's certainly in perilous state at the moment, why would it continue? Would there not be a plan for that? That's one of the things that vexes me. Well, yeah, that's a good point, actually, because I know in the, in the I don't know if it's the European Parliament or something like that, they have to be, they have to have a vaccine pass to go in, which essentially means that anyone who's against all of this craziness isn't even going to be able to partake in the political system yeah. because they're immediately kind of vetted out. And um, you're right, like there's... As far as I'm concerned, if they're banning you from going into public places without a vaccine passport, the only people who will be able to vote in the next election will be people who have taken the vaccine. And they are going to be far more likely to be on board, you know, especially if we're by that point kind of two years into this. Um, you know, they're going to be about like 12 boosters deep at that time. So they're probably just going to be like well on the road, and just be like, okay, cool, I'll just do the next one. You're going to, you're basically only opening up the political process to the most compliant people in society and anyone who is. In, in any way are kind of contrarian to the the agenda um, will just be uh, banned from that process. Indeed. Well, you, you see not even the political process, just employment now. We've seen it already with care workers. We, um, you, know, with, you know, health workers in the NHS are facing a mandate in April where if you do not comply, you do not sign up to the vaccine narrative, you're going to lose the job. So, you know, we know there's a health crisis developing right now. There's a, a mental health crisis and a physical health crisis in the NHS right now. And I don't mean the pandemic. I mean, you know, the three quarters of a million cancer screenings. I'm talking about the backlogs, the record backlogs, the services. So with all of that, rather than increasing capacity and building up a healthcare system, they're talking about removing 100,000 workers, 10 or 20% of their entire workforce from frontline activities because they won't take a vaccine right so there are you know there are already steps to remove those professional medics from that system because they won't take a vaccine and that's that's only four months away that's not some dystopian view of the future that's a published policy which i believe they they voted in as part of the vaccine mandate session so that's coming whether it will happen or not, you know, politically it's coming. Yeah, I, I wonder whether it will be pushed further back, though, because, I mean, it's obvious that these um, NHS staff who haven't taken it already, um, they're very unlikely to get it. I mean, some might get it, but the vast majority aren't going to get it, so you are going to have mass walkouts. Now, are they going to allow that to happen? I mean, maybe, maybe they are, because it, it's not that I think that they'll care about health, but it's more that I think that they might care about if... Um, it causes a kind of public disturbance because, you know, um, hospital care becomes so poor because you've had so many walkouts. It will it will all be because of political repercussions. It won't be because of yeah. um, they actually care about people's health. But, um, you know, I imagine it might get close to the day and they will kind of push it back. But yeah, yet to, yet to be seen because some of these major deadlines, like for instance, in the, uh, I think it was Austria, they were supposed to have a, a, a lockdown of the, the unvaccinated. And I think it lasted about two days before they, uh, widened it to a, a general lockdown. Hmm. Uh, you know, in Germany, they're saying that they're going to they're, they're going to um, start making it a crime and, and things like this in the future. Um, but I don't. I do feel like when we've hit these very major 
um, benchmarks. A benchmark is that the right word? That sounds too positive. These major milestones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like then they kind of have been pushed pushed back if they're a bit too draconian, and then they just try them again in you know six months or whatever, or a few months. It's mission group. It's also coercion. I mean, all, all of the threats are. They think that all of the threats are targeted in the short term to at least either get you to take a vaccine and a booster or to get you to use the app. It's coercion, right? And you know, they, every time they threaten someone, you know, they'll, they'll get, they uptake or tick up and they'll get more of what they want. And then the question is, will they cross the line? And I think that's probably a big telling on the NHS because there are. Heroes, they're the heroes, they're the ones that work through the pandemic. They're also medical professionals, the majority, and people who have a good insight in terms of their own risk-benefit profile of a particular medicine, and they may be taking, choosing not to take it for good medical reasons. So it really, it really flies in the face of some of the orthodoxy around yeah. this. And, um, but, you know, it's being um, approved in this parliament of ours. So in theory, it could happen. I mean... There's also the point of, I, I believe that the NHS is being diminished. I think it's being diminished. I think it's been deliberately diminished. Um, you know, we've seen billions invested in surveillance, in track and trade, in all of these other, in, in vaccines, in all of these other um, initiatives. But we've had two years to plan for, for this winter for maybe a crisis, you know, Omnicon or whatever you want to believe. Um, we've had two years to prepare for this crisis. The only thing that's happened is capacity has been reduced. So they've invested nothing in the NHS. It looks like it's been diminished. It looks like it's been deliberately diminished. And then it gets to the point where the public are angry at the NHS. Again, that's another very, very divisive policy. You know, people, when they see the NHS not function, they're going to get angry with it. People are going to be harmed. You know, public... You know, the, the public will turn against the NHS, which actually opens the door to doing other things, looking at the NHS, like privatising it and, and really starting to take it apart. So there's some, I don't know, some really sneaky, nasty things in here happening. And I guess that's what worries me. Yeah, I have the same. This, actually, I'm, I'm not sure I do have the same feeling. I kind of feel that all of this stuff that's happening with the NHS, the NHS has been kind of hailed as this... Uh, it's almost become a, like a cult, you know, and, and it's like you're all supposed mm. to worship it and it's got its own symbol. Now you've got like the rainbow and everyone's putting this thing, you know, up in their in their window and it's all clapping for the NHS, etc. There's kind of like a religion built around it. And mm -hmm. to be honest, like I'm OK with um, the religion of the NHS. If, if what it takes for the religion of the NHS to kind of die a death is for all these, um, you know, NHS workers to walk out, etc. And then they say, oh, look, the NHS is, you know, we can't call them all heroes anymore because they're all doing walk walkouts, etc. And then the public turns against it. I'm not sure that would necessarily be such a bad thing. No. Um, the, the reason being that I actually think that, you know, the NHS um, is an institution that should be looking after people's health, but it's already been massively politicized, right? So like, You've got, it's almost like anything that the government wants you to kind of like or, or, or feel positively towards, they just stick the NHS thing on it, right? So we're calling it NHS Test and Trace. It's got nothing to do with the NHS. Like the, no. the company who made that is called Serco and they're a private contracting company. And um, they're a pretty, you know, a classic kind of evil parasitic company that just, um, you know, has uh, government deals like backhand deals and 
makes billions and yeah. makes people who are, who are friends and, and family of politicians very rich. That's what they do. But they put the NHS sticker on it, right? Yep. Same with the COVID app. Is the, isn't it the NHS COVID app? I don't know. Yeah. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, I'm not sure. Test and trace COVID app. I'm not sure what the difference is because I've never downloaded either, to be honest. But, no, I haven't, to be uh, honest. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, they've also got, you know, you see these bill, billboards and stuff in London and they've got like, you know, look into his eyes, this, that, and they're all of this like crazy, you know, oh, that, that, that. propaganda. But again, what have you got on there? The, the NHS. And um, it's kind of like the government just thinks, well, we can just, if we put the NHS on something, everyone's just going to love it and kind of lap it up. And I think that it's about time that people um, kind of, that this religion of the NHS died. And maybe this is a step in that direction because they're at a crossroads now. It's like, you know, are they heroes or are they evil anti-vaxxers? They're health workers. They're not heroes. They are health workers. They are professional healthcare workers. And that's it. It's a job. <laughs> sure. Exactly. I, I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. that. That's how I perceive it. But you have got a lot of people who do worship all NHS workers. Politically, they do. Yeah. And yeah. I think media and social media is also part of, you know, the whole the whole propaganda. I mean, different countries are, they seem to be pushing the same agenda, but different companies different countries using different tools, right? You know, some are more authoritarians, some in the US, they're, you know, it's, it's, it's spread very much along political lines. In the, in, in the UK, the tool to, um, to push this agenda is always the NHS, right? We are here, we exist to protect the NHS. Um, the whole narrative is around the NHS. That's a very UK-centric thing. Others... Places do talk about the health systems, but not as much as we do. And you're right. It's politicized. It's, uh, it's, it's, it is like a religious token. You know, we all worship before it, even though we pay a fortune for it. The thing about changing the NHS is fine, and I think it would benefit from change. The trouble is what comes next. And if you've had any experience at all of something like the U.S. health model, that is awful. That is an absolute disaster, right? It's um, the way health is delivered, who gets it, how much you pay for it, the uh, the way it's run by the insurance companies and the price you pay. It's an awful, awful, awful system. So whichever way you look at the NHS, it's never going to be as bad as the US, right? And the question would be, if something does happen to the NHS, what comes next? And the worry would be there's enough, like you say, capitalist predators around the circos of this world and everyone else you know they did try to break it up and turn it into some money-making machine buy it at a fire sale price i could see you know you got our health secretary at the moment is an ex-merchant banker right sajid javid he's an ex-merchant banker his job would be very familiar with breaking up companies you drive them into the dirt you, you sell them at a fire sale and you know all your cronies and everyone else makes a fortune out of it that would be my worry for the NHS. Not that it doesn't need to change, but what does it turn into? I struggle a lot with the kind of healthcare question because as a libertarian, I'm fundamentally, I'm essentially opposed to forcing people um, to pay for yeah. other people's healthcare. Like I believe that essentially everyone should be paying for their own healthcare. Nobody should be forced to mm -hmm. provide healthcare and nobody should be forced to pay for other people's healthcare. Like it's an individual responsibility. But I also appreciate what you say that it does seem that in America, they've got a pretty bad health system. And to be honest, I'm not sure how much of that is just to do with the fact that Americans have 
um, generally pretty poor health, much more, much poorer health than Europeans. So you kind of, if they had, if you were to put their health on a parity with Europeans, maybe they would have a better system. I can't say that with any kind of certainty. No. Um, but certainly, yeah, I, I'd agree. Like it can get worse. You know, I mean, this is, um, you know, um, a kind of. And it isn't just. Yeah, go, sorry, go ahead. And when I say it gets worse, it's not just it's not just a, a political thing or a financial thing. We're actually talking about people here, that people that when services are removed, they get harmed. I mean, they get harmed and vulnerable people die. This, this is genuinely going to affect people, families. It's going to affect the vulnerable. It's going to affect the sick. When, when care is not there, people get harmed. This isn't just a political football. But we have politicians and institutionalized people in the NHS you seem to be prepared to take that risk, right? They're so wedded to their, I don't whatever this political ambition is, they're prepared to stand aside and see people harmed. And that to me is, is very, very telling. There's, there's something very, very sinister about that. Going back to why you would take out, you know, and, and I, probably, you know, I should probably confess at this time, I do live with an NHS nurse as well. So I've got to be very careful about what I say. <laughs> Fair enough. While we're on the healthcare... Even question. worse, it's an unvaccinated one as well, so it's pretty close to my chest, that one. Okay, well, that that's interesting. Let's talk about that. So is she going to be one of the NHS 70,000 or, or whatever that, that leaves in April? Yeah, I don't think it's... I think, you know, just vox vox and listen to people, I think the numbers are probably a lot higher than that. A lot higher. Oh, a lot higher, right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm using the government figures, and as we know, they lie about all of this stuff. So, yeah, presumably we'll be higher. Yeah, so, yeah. That, that's something that all she'll be facing, absolutely, uh, along with many of her colleagues. Um, but we'll see how that plays out. Okay, so have you had many conversations with her about that? I'm interested just to know what you know, because I don't have, uh, well, I know people who work in the NHS, but I don't expect any of them will be walking out. So I'm, I'm interested to know, um, you know, obviously it's kind of a secondhand uh, account, but like what's her experience of what people are saying within the NHS amongst her kind of peers and her own views on that um, policy. Yeah, I mean, we're sort of straight into sort of personal territory here, but um, I think there's uh, a lot of people are very uncomfortable with the NHS who work there. So in the last 12 months, the direction it's gone in, it seems to be crossing some fundamental lines about care and what it means by care. Um, even, you know, even to the point where a third, you know, this kind of current obsession with boosters and third vaccines, where this is being prioritised, prioritised, you know, GP surgeries within the healthcare service generally over just standard treatments, you know, um, you know, care for checkups on the elderly and various other treatments. So that is that is rubbing some people up the wrong way. A lot of people. But there's also, um, it's a very, very difficult institution to work in if there's a particular policy. You know, it's not known for, you know, whistleblowers are punished, are punished quite severely. It's very, very difficult to, to swim against the tide in the NHS, even though many people, many more than you'd expect, are uncomfortable. And you see this on an individual level because, you know, you can make complaints about the, the health service, but the individuals who work in it generally are quite fantastic. They tend to work against the system rather than with it. Um, and there's probably far more people in there that are unhappy than are being, it's not just 
people are vaccinated or not. There's a, a, a level of dissatisfaction, I think, with a lot of people in the NHS. But I don't feel that comfortable talking about this because this is a private conversation between me and my partner. And, you know, I'm not working there day to day. Um, but I think that the, the figures and the numbers are higher. Okay, yeah, let's move on. I, I didn't mean to, to pry. I'm just No, saying, no, that's absolutely it's, fine. It's, it's, it's a fact of my life. I've tweeted about it a few times. So it's not like it's, uh, I know that this is another thing that we aren't going to go too much into, but th- I know that you do have some experience in the pharmaceutical industry. So, like, mm-hmm. can you give us a window into what is going on there? Because it's like, how do you have um, so much power in the hands of seemingly the, this small group of pharmaceutical companies? Oh, may- maybe they're not small companies themselves, but certainly a small group. Um, who seem to have um, this huge amount of power over kind of governments. And it's almost like every major government in the world is owned by Pfizer right now. Like, how, how do we get here? Yeah, it's not just the pharmaceutical industry. It seems to be Pfizer in particular. And, and I wish I had an answer. I mean, people often talk about the pharma industry being evil. You know, my experience of working, it, it's not. It's, it's just full of normal people trying to do normal things and, a lot about you know bringing medicines to market that make people feel better. There's, there's that side of it, but it seems to have just and there's always been a dark side of that as well, which is you know mis-selling of drugs or expensive treatments that people don't need, dodgy contracts with various organisations. So there's a dark side, absolutely, but it has just gone off the rails. I mean, it's supposed to be a regulated industry. So you have people like the FDA and the MHRA and the European Medicines Agency, you know, in this constant battle between what you can do with medicines and drugs and what you can't, and, you know, running very, very detailed studies. And if they don't like your drug, they'll pull it to market. So it's a bit of kind of cut and thrust. I don't think, I think they've been relatively toothless, these, in the past, these um, regulators. But right now, they've gone completely absent utterly completely absent. And now we have governments, even celebrities acting as pharma salesmen. I mean, this isn't a magical cure. It's it's a product. It's a commercial product. It could be an iPhone or a tin of beans. It doesn't matter. It's just a commercial product. It's a sales opportunity. And we now have these sold everywhere around the world, and Pfizer in particular, I mean, you have government ministers coming on and saying, get your booster, get your booster, get your booster for Christmas. It's just, it's just a pharma product. And all of the protocols, all of the rules, all of the regulations have all been broken. It's a new paradigm. And there are many, many people just scratching their heads who have worked for decades in the pharma industry and not quite sure how or why this has been allowed to happen. Yeah. So um, what you just said there reminded me, I, I don't know if you've seen this, in, uh, there's a kind of interview and it's almost like a kind of behind the scenes type um, footage. And it's with um, Sajid Javid. And he's he's talking to this reporter. Oh, not the sky one. He drags, he drags him off to the hospital and says, come and get injected with me now. Yes. That one. Jesus. That's it. That's it. I mean, like there wasn't too much talk about this at the time. But when I when I watched that, I was like, that is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. Like it was just such a um, clear moment for me that highlighted this fact that we don't have a government. We basically have a bunch of big pharma salespeople. Mm, they are. I've never seen this man kind of push for anything as much as he was pushing for that single guy, the cameraman, to go and get his booster. He was like, 
He would have gra- dragged him, k- kicking and screaming. You, you know, he, look, he looks unhinged. Yes, doesn't he? He looks unhinged. He's like some like coked up insurance salesman, just trying to, you know, he just like off his face, saying, "You've got, you've got to do this. You've got to." And every um, statement comes on, no matter what the question is. The answer is, "Take a vaccine, get a booster. Take a vaccine, get a booster." Yeah, and they just are acting as pharma sales reps, right? It's just that's all it is. And at a medical level, now I'm not an expert on the medical side. There's enough brilliant people around who are challenging this, but you know, you've got this strange, absolutely incredible situation where you've taken a, essentially a vaccine twice; it doesn't work, and the solution is you must take a third one. And you're living with this kind of double think at the same time, this paradox of you told me the first one was enough. Then you told me I had to take a second one. Now you're telling me they don't work and I need to take a third one. And they're still trying to push it. It's almost like sanity. is just, It's insane. And I can't see from a medical benefit or a regulatory perspective how this is happening. And then you break it down to you see like, that, that interview that you're talking about where he just looks like a crazy man trying to drag a cameraman or a, or an interviewee off the street. And it's just, it makes no sense. It really makes no sense at all. Yeah. It reminded me of, um, this, um, Louis Theroux documentary that I watched about Scientology. Yeah. Yeah. It's a cult. Yeah. It's a cult. Uh, exactly. And when he's kind of, um, speaking to these people, it's like, they just look, you know, really like deep into your eyes and it's like, um, you know, they have this, this, they're just hell bent on this mission to kind of recruit you or intimidate you or whatever it is. Yeah. And I was looking at, you know, Sajid Javid and I'm like, this guy looks like he's been possessed. It's almost like they've all been hypnotized. They've all been taken into a Pfizer back room and they've been hypnotized <laughs> for their one goal in life to be to just sell these jabs. I think that's a really good analogy because the other side of that and what we're starting to see now is, you know, what happens if you leave the Church of Scientology, right? If you, you know, if you're the heretic there, you are hated, you know, they never let you go. You're hated beyond hate, you know. You never have to see your family again. You are the, the, you are the devil incarnate if you leave that church. And it's a bit like what we're seeing now because the people who, you know, for their own reasons, choose not to get a vaccine. I mean, if you're young and healthy, you know, whatever. Or you just don't, you know, you're waiting for some clinical data or the trials to complete, whatever. You choose not to get one. You're now being positioned as the heretic, you know, you're the heretic. You're, you are. It's not that you don't want a pharmaceutical product. You're a heretic. You know, you, you're going to be getting burned at the stake pretty soon because you're a non-believer. And we're moving into this cultish religious sphere, you know, where the psychologists like to be, which is if you don't believe in this, you're, 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 you're evil. <laughs> Again, I cannot make sense of that. And then you look at people like, Javid and the way he he is so obsessed with it looks like a crazy person crazy person yeah and something seems to have changed even since he's kind of taken that position like before I don't know it's like this possession seems to have taken place in front of our very eyes it's very very strange but um you know some people just don't haven't been affected you know because I do see this thing as a cult it's kind of like a cult that's gone mainstream um, and taken over, you know, it's like one of the, the biggest cults that I can, I can't imagine one that's that's gone bigger. I guess you could call some other things like, you know, um, cults, you know, that, that we do. I mean, you could say like religion, things like this. Some people would make that argument, but certainly like something that's come, come around as fast as this, it's like two years in and people, you know, are kind of taking the vaccine like it's the, 
like it's the kind of messiah like a, a messianic mission you know it's kind of the thing which is granting you salvation it's like it's your civic duty it's like you know it's like you're preparing for war or something you know you have to it's your civic duty to keep the country moving forward we have to take the vaccine and the only thing we're doing is i don't know increasing the pharma company's profits it really doesn't do an awful lot i mean what's the, the, even the efficacy and the safety of the drugs in question, it doesn't seem to do an awful lot. But if you're a non-believer, you know, you're about to become, you know, marginalised. You, you see, you know, there's, there's horrible things being said in, in the media now by, you know, key influencers about how people who don't want this, you know, they're selfish, they're nasty, they should be segregated and isolated in society. They can't be allowed to, 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 to mix with the good people. You know, they're evil, they're selfish. These things are being said now. It's, it's amazing to hear that in a society in the 21st century. Completely. You know, we are talking about segregation. And you, you say that word segregation and people get triggered as if like, oh, well, you can't use that for this. It's like... But you can, because you are. That, that's what the word is used for. Like the, wor- like the word segregation means segregating society. Literally, I mean, that, that's what it is. Yeah. And people be like, oh, yeah, but, you know, this is based upon... Uh, a vaccine it's not based upon uh whatever like race or something it's like well that's not the 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 word segregation doesn't depend upon race the parameter doesn't matter yeah yeah so you know whether it's gender whether it's race whether it's ethnicity whether it's your religion whether it's what you believe in or some other factor it's still segregation right and you're still dividing society yeah, and I, I have people who have said to me like, "Oh, well, um, you know, you, you can choose to to take the vaccine, and it's a choice not to take it. Therefore, it's not segregation, like something like uh, like race, for instance." But you know, you choose religion as well, right? And you can have religious-based segregation. That's the weakest argument you could possibly imagine. You're, you're either gonna you're either going to discriminate and hate on on some groups, or you're not. You don't get to choose who you're going to discriminate against, right? You're either for dis- discrimination, or you're not. Choosing a group still means you're pretty nasty and pretty discriminatory and pretty vile in my eyes. And the idea that you can pick and choose doesn't wash. You either, everybody's equal, everybody's entitled to the same rights. We live in a society as one with the same inalienable rights, or we're not. You don't get to pick and choose. Yeah. And it's, we're hearing it. We're hearing people, media influencers. You know, if they were saying this 20 years ago, even 10 years, even five years ago, you just, you just wouldn't think you could even hear that. It's hate. It's, it's hate. This is genuinely hate speech because it's inciting people to hate a particular group. That's the irony that all these people are so triggered about hate speech. This is genuine hate speech and apparently it's acceptable now. Yeah, exactly. It's like you're a, you know, you're a, a fascist for not putting your gender pronouns in your bio <laughs> but if you tell someone that they should have all of their rights stripped of them and they can't go to buy food because they've not taken a vaccine um then that's okay that's just you know that's just well you have a choice but, but that's because of that nasty selfish person who didn't want to take that product in fact they deserve it they deserve it they're unclean they deserve it you know and and, and the, the parallels in history you know you see a lot of this on social media and it's again it's a trigger point where the parallels about some of the worst atrocities in, in the world, whether it's Mao's China, Stalin's Russia, or you know Hitler's Europe, always starts with this othering process, this marginalising of certain groups of people. And you know you can't just leap there because people start you know piling in 
about, you know, can't make those comparisons, but some of these comparisons are starting to become valid. That's the really sinister and chilling bit. When you're allowed in the public domain, politicians, celebrities, influencers, scientists coming out and saying, it's okay to segregate these people. That, that's, that's a checkpoint, right? That's, that's a real, hang on, time out here, guys. What are we really trying to do? Definitely. I, I do feel like the kind of, there's a community that's really come together out of this that have a set of shared fundamental values, which is actually quite rare to see in society, right? Like, you know, we have shared values of, I mean, even when it comes to people who have had the vaccine, no, nobody who's, who's kind of in the unvaccinated, you know, kind of evil, selfish, whatever camp, uh, you know, according to, to some uh, small group of people, we're not saying, oh, um, you know, people who are vaccinated are uh, you know, you're not allowed to come to this, you know, you should be like, if you're having your own events and we get to have unvaccinated, nobody's saying that. We're just saying, just treat everyone equal, just treat everyone equally. And, you know, just grant everybody the same freedom. These are also my family and my friends. I, you know, you make the choices. I'm not going to discriminate. I don't think I've ever discriminated against anyone or groups of people in my life. I'm not going to start now. That, that, that's a fundamental conflict for me. That's one of the most sinister things about that. Um, and I don't know why you'd want to do that. I don't know why people would want to do that. That's what it feels sinister to me. Why would you want to discriminate against a group of people? And I think, you know, the optimism for me is it's, it's like a core piece of our humanity. You know, it's, 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 it's humanity to be, to be there for people, to be with friends and you know, agree to disagree. It's a very, very important part of life. And I've never experienced it really. Growing up, I'm not, I've seen it, I've, I, you know, but I've never really experienced it to a really bad extent where I've lived in a society like, like a, you know, where people are genuinely discriminated against, really genuinely, not just, you know, sort of bad language, but genuinely discriminated. I know, you know, probably growing up, sort of evidence of it, but it's been such a, a lovely trajectory that it's, it's, it's largely gone away. I think most people can live a life now um, as they want, irrespective of, creed, religion, sex, gender, you, you can pretty much do whatever you want. And I don't think we're, we really are become, you know, in the 30 or 40 years I've been aware, much more tolerant. And that's been a lovely journey. That's been a fantastic journey. Do you think that those values are, are kind of a given? Because I'm not so sure anymore. I mean, when I went to this, um, this kind of bar and they were, you know, accepting or rejecting people, based upon whether they could prove their vaccination status. And if you were, you know, and people say, oh, well, you know, they're allowed to do the the test to prove, you know, it's, it doesn't matter if you're unvaccinated because you can show a test. Well, if if only one group of people has to show a test, that's still discrimination, right? So like, it is. and a lot of people just went along with it. A lot of people are going along with it. Um, and we've seen this in other countries that they have. So do you think that we actually have a sustainable enough, kind of solid enough philosophy as a nation or morally speaking kind of as a planet to to kind of see this thing off and to kind of say no to all of this madness because i'm it seems to me like my interpretation now is that there's actually only a minority of people who are willing to defend these values i think at the moment that's true and i think you know i think it is alarming and surprising when you see how how many people are just happy to go along with this i think that's because we're at the start of this development of this new type of society, potentially a two-tier one. The risk is that the further we get into it, the harder it is to unwind. I mean, that's that's the point. You know, just you just take 
one link out of the chain every time until when people do finally wake up, they're too invested or too controlled to back out of it. So it's finding that point where do enough people wake up before we get to that point? Or if we do get to that point, how do we back out of it? Because a lot of the people, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about people maybe in their 20s now, late teens, 20s, you know, growing up the phone, probably don't care about this, don't see the risk. When I was 20 years old, I didn't care about much. I just cared about what I was going to be doing at the weekend and probably the weekend after that and a bit of sport and something else. I didn't really care about philosophical questions about rights. I mean, I got angry about certain things, went to some marches for sure, but it wasn't, I didn't see risk or anything. I, I just didn't. So I don't know. I don't know. I think some older people are more clued in because they've got some historic concept. I think if I was 20 now, I probably wouldn't care. And I probably just want to make sure I go to the club on Saturday. Right. And, and this is because sometimes you will talk to people and they'll say something like, oh, well, you know, your right to bodily autonomy um, doesn't trump my right to not catch a virus or, or, or some, something like this, like something really like strange well, that's some, bizarre. That, that's, that's not even their words. That is uh, a brilliant, some of those brilliant phrases that have been created. You know, it's like an anti You know, I, I believe in civil rights, but now I'm an anti-vaxxer. These words, these sentences, these constructs have been calculated and they've been manufactured, right? Nothing, nothing goes over your right to bodily autonomy. Absolutely zero. Your right to decide what goes into your body, what procedures or medicines you take or is done to you is yours. It's the whole basis, informed medical sense, it's the whole basis of a health service, right? You have absolute bodily autonomy. And do you know why? People don't like, you know, because doctors are corrupt. Doctors are corrupt. They have conflicts of interest. They do bad things. They make money at your expense. They give you treatments you don't need and expensive drugs you don't want right? They are corrupt. And the fundamental right you have to address that corruption is your right to bodily autonomy. You can turn down whatever you need. And that is in your interest, and irrespective of what society wants. That's you looking after your own body. Nothing trumps that. It's essential and it's a fundamental human right. You have phrases that are developed, that people have manufactured those phrases because they know that when the likes of you or I say this, that's what's get parroted back. They've got the response already written. Where we are as a society now, I think there is a lot of kind of collectivist thinking, which has now been cultivated or kind of weaponized yeah. um, for this cause, because there's so many people there who just think, oh, well, everything I do is for the service of the greater good, is for the service of someone else. You know, I've got to do this, protect, you know, that person or, or whatever it is. And now it's just kind of taken to this extreme level where it's like even the germs which might leave my body, uh, you know, like I'm now responsible even for them. I'm responsible for something that's this literally invisible. So even if I never touch someone, I'm responsible if they get a virus, etc. Yeah, yeah. Which you know I just think is a kind of extension of a kind of toxic collectivist ideology, which mm. has taken hold. And what we actually need now is to have a return, like hopefully a, a healthy and hopefully a kind of peaceful return to a recognition of um, individual rights, which seems to be kind of like a dirty word now it's like well if you care about individual rights you're some kind of you know right-wing fascist it's like well no it's, it's literally the opposite like you 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 believe in the fundamental rights of the individual and that they shouldn't be tyrannized by the group the whole 20th century was a battle 
for civil rights, you know, whether it was you know, women's rights with, you know, in, in, in the 1920s and 1910s, it was, it was rights based on, on, on gender, then became rights based on poverty. So then, you know, poor people could vote. And then it was uh, a whole, whole series of rights, you know, who you could sleep with. I mean, you know, it was illegal being gay in the 60s and 70s, you know, and even unacceptable as late as the 80s. So it was all about getting rights. These were hard won rights and it's made our society better. And now we're at a point where how can you call those rights? Um, they're not worthy. They're the wrong thing. I, 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 again, I, I, I don't have the words to articulate well enough, but I really struggle with the idea that these hard-won rights, you know, and you look at the, you know, you know what, the, the race history throughout the 21st century, 20th century, Martin Luther King, and the battles of the civil rights they had and, and addressing the Jim Crow laws, all of that was about a battle for rights. Why do we suddenly hand them back and say they're not important? Because without our rights, we're nothing. Without you, know, without your rights, you've got you've got you've got the same. You've got you know. You may as well be cattle. You've got nothing. You've got nothing to support you. Nothing to stop anyone, a corporation or a government, doing anything to you without your basic individual rights. So I'm getting a bit of a getting a bit of a soapbox about that one. But I, I really struggle with it. I really do. I can't understand how people would say having rights is selfish. <laughs> It's nuts. You brought up the race thing, and it's an interesting point because a lot of people will say, "Oh, well, you know, collectivism is is always is always right, and you know, you should just kind of like submit to whatever the collective um, good is." But you could literally argue anything on the basis of like it's better for the for the collective good, right? Like some of the worst horrors in history have been argued on that basis. Like when always for, for the collective good, for your safety, yeah, right. Like when, when, for instance, like they were trying to to end slavery. The, some of the people who were pro-slavery, their argument was, we need to continue slavery because otherwise cotton's going to be too expensive if we have to actually pay people to create it. So we need to maintain slavery so people can have cheaper clothes and then that the industry doesn't doesn't collapse. Right? They were literally arguing that slavery that you should discard the rights of slaves because the greater good was that people can you know that you have an industry you have people in jobs that you can afford cheaper clothes etc but like obviously individual rights um uh, um, trump everything like because the collective rights stem from the individual rights and it's funny how those those collective rights always seem to be parroted by the rich and powerful Right. It's always the rich and powerful who talk about the collective rights, the rights of the community, because they have a very high status in it. What they don't like is people with individual, you know, individuals with with inalienable rights are a challenge to them, right? Because they can't be bullied, they can't be sacked. They, you know, they're, they're able to negotiate fair living ways. They're able to decide what goes in their body. They're able to decide who they want to sleep with. They're able to decide lots of things themselves. They are a threat to people who want this kind of top-down, totalitarian, collectivist, it's for the common good. The common good doesn't exist in many cases. It's just a, it's just a tool. Um, and it's, it's used a lot. I mean, well, it hasn't it's been used a lot in the last two years. I've, I've changed that. So in the last two years, we've really seen this idea, that this, this collective idea that it's our civic duty to, to take products to make everybody feel safe is more important. And it's, it's a lie. It's, it's a well-constructed lie. Well, it's worked its way into so many things. I mean, at the beginning of this, it was like, you know, initially they were telling you to wear a mask for your own good. And when they realised <laughs> yeah. that wasn't going to work, they were like, oh, no, 
will tell people that you, you wear the mask to protect others. And then it was like, okay, now you've got to stay at home to protect the NHS. You know, it wasn't stay at home to protect you, stay at home to protect yeah. the NHS. Then it was take the vaccine. Oh, it's not for you. You take the vaccine to protect others. Yeah. Whatever the, the nonsense reason is, it always tends to be that you're doing it for others because what that does, it's a very, very deliberate tactic and it's very obvious for most people, well, not most people to see, but in, in our community, I think most people see it, is that what it does is it kind of like causes other people um, to turn on each other. So it's like, well, you're not doing it to protect others. So now the others, which is like everyone, like you're the target because you're the selfish one. It's exactly what it is. Absolutely spot on. And if you look, you know, politicians haven't created the, these campaigns and this thinking. Very, very closely aligned with the politicians. You know, we've got this group called SAGE. We've got the SPIB, whatever they're called, the Nudge Unit. These are all psychologists. That's the, you know, they, they keep on coming on TV and saying, I'm a scientist, but they're psychologists. And if you look at the psychology, the psychological campaign behind this, so what you're talking about, that do it for someone else, is about shaming and guilt, right? They're trying to make you, they're trying to make you feel ashamed for not wearing a mask, which is just really a visual representation that there's something going on, um, and they're relying on other people in society to make you feel ashamed, right? Because you're not, you're not part of the collective, you're not doing the right thing, or they're making you feel guilty for not taking a vaccine. This is shame and guilt. This is a psychological campaign. This, it's, it's, it's a political campaign based on psychology. And the psychology, I have to admit, is, is pretty brilliant. You, know, you, you almost want to tip your hat at them and say, this is so damn smart. It really is. To not only come up with a strategy, but then to kind of... So I think if you just told people bluntly, you must do this without all this psychological conditioning, they'd resist. But they just break you down. Brilliant psychological. The campaign, you know, save your grand, put a mask on or your... Your uncle's going to die and your kids are going to... Oh, like I say, it's, it's, it's horrific, but brilliant. And it's all based on those basic psychological principles, very standard ones. The two I refer to, the, you know, sometimes jokingly, you've got the Milgram experiment, which is where the guy in the white coats tell you to, you know, give someone an electric shock and see who goes along with it, right? Okay, and people go along with that. that that's basically your sign. That's your, your witty and stuff. I'm a scientist, do as I say, because I come with authority. And you've got the, you know, the Ash conformity experiment where you've got, you know, five people in a room. Only one of them is a subject. He doesn't realize this. And they'll come in and they'll tell you that, you know, black is white and, and green is blue, whatever. And because the other four people say it, he does it or she does it. It's because they just want to participate in the group. You know, they want to adhere to social norms, right? He doesn't want to be guilty or look stupid or not participate. And... They've just extended a little, these little psychological experiments onto populations of millions, and it's working. It really is working. And they've got this planned out right from now, you know, you've got the, you've got the guilt, you've got the shame, you've got the reward system. So if you're good, if you're good, you get Christmas. That's another psychological trick. You know, if good behavior now, compliant now, we'll give you Christmas back. Never mind them, you know, 27th, I'm going to lock you down again. But that's another one. That's the reward mechanism for you. I could say very, very clever, but quite horrific. I don't know how these people sleep at night. I'm glad you brought up that experiment, actually, because I've been trying to figure out, basically from the beginning of this thing, when everyone seemed to just kind of go headlong into this cult and um, you know the rest of us were kind of just left on the sidelines being like, what the hell has just happened? And I've been trying to figure out what it actually is that has enabled some people to just kind of not fall for it or, or you know, what is the characteristic um, by which some people just seem to be kind of immune. Um, and 
the thing which because you mentioned that experiment and i've seen the same one the one i saw actually was um they have like lines and it's like you say which is the shortest line or something or which that's is the it that, line. sorry that's it that's the, that's the actual one yeah which lines are in parallel that's it yeah absolutely and and you have these people and, and generally speaking if you bring in the test subject they will go with what everyone else has said even though it's clearly the wrong answer and my theory is if you took the people in the kind of freedom community who have seen through this and you ran that experiment on them they would be the anomaly to the experiment that that and i have no evidence of that but i think that if you were to run the experiment on general population who have just kind of fallen for the the whole um covid um propaganda and then you were to run the experiment on the people who haven't i actually think you would get a marked difference um in the uh rate of kind of compliance in that experiment i, th- I think you're absolutely right and i think they they probably recognize i don't know what that subset is 10%, 20%, 30%. But if I, you know, I'm sure if you sat in a room, I sat in a room and, and maybe people listen to it and can you spot the two parallel lines? You'd go, they're those two. And if nine other people said, no, they're not, you'd just turn around and go, A, you're silly, or B, am I the test subject here? Because this is just not making any sense. <laughs> you'd work it out. You'd know, you, you, know you, you would be able to articulate very clearly. And you're not going to bow, you know, you're not going to bend to the authority. So there's something about sort of the moral moral fiber and moral courage or just the ability to stand there and go no this is wrong um i think you're making a mistake and i don't care how many people tell me it's a mistake i'm going to stick to this because i can see that because i can prove it rationally and scientifically or within my own mind that it's it's crazy and i'm not going to um, i'm not going to accept just because everybody else and it doesn't it doesn't mean you're stubborn or anything like that it's I don't know. I don't know. But in this community that you're talking about, absolutely, you're probably up about, I think, 80 or 90% would fail that test. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a good word that you use just there, moral courage. Um, I think, I guess, probably how I would term is people who are not necessarily disagreeable, but kind of contrarians, you know, that we're, we're kind of willing to kind of just go against the grain. We're, we're willing to have an opinion which contradicts the many and that we don't actually care whether the many agree with that there's a lot of people who i think they 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 need to fit in with the group or it's important to them and therefore they're kind of willing to bend the truth or bend their interpretation of the truth if it means that they kind of stay in alignment with the majority whereas people like me i'm assuming that you'd be the same and a lot of people in this community would be the same is that you have a kind of devotion to the truth which um kind of go which essentially trumps um, your kind of yearning to be part of a majority, whether you even have that yearning whatsoever. I'm not sure that I, I have it, to be honest, whatsoever. I guess we probably all have it in a, to a small degree. But for me, mm. uh, being in service of the truth is always the most important factor, not trying to kind of, um, you know, fit in no. or, or comply with the majority in some way. I like to look at things you know, rationally. I like, I like evidence. I like data. I like to gauge opinions. And I'm not easily influenced by someone who just like speaks from a television or, or wears a white coat. I like to think what's behind them and what's motivating them. Um, and it's also interesting that, you know, that we also, you know, as society, I would always say has progressed, you know, we, we, we value difference now. We value people. We celebrate people who are different, different culturally, have different ideas. So we've gone to this idea, you know, be yourself. Don't, don't necessarily conform. You, you can barely watch a, you know, an advert about Apple, whatever, you know, someone's different, you know, and everyone's different. And we celebrate differences now, right? That's what we're supposed to do. At the same time, 
we drive conformity in a different way. So it's an illusion that this is celebrating this diversity because what we really want is conformity. What these people want is absolute conformity. And they want you to just go along with it. There's so much psychological pressure now to go along with this. It's really, you know, I, I worry about people's, you know, the, the mental health of people who have grown up and there's particularly children now, because I think there's so much pressure to conform and you're not allowed to be different. You know, you may, you, you may be different in many other ways, you know, but you're not allowed to be different on this particular point. I, I think that there has been um, a change, though, in this kind of, I, I guess, the, I'm not sure what the word is, the the kind of zeitgeist when it comes to you know being different right because like i've noticed in the advertising world for instance that it used to be that you would see commercials you know just like you were saying it'd be kind of like think different be the the square in the what what is it that yeah. be the circle in the square hole or whatever it is and um but now more recently everything's all about like all about kind of like we are one we are together you know we can do this together and i've actually noticed that that has changed quite significantly in the past kind of oh. maybe maybe like I, i'm not sure it's been it's been a long time but I, I don't see i couldn't tell you now a brand a kind of you know commercial or whatever which is priding itself on like being unique and being different everything now is all like you know be a part of the team type thing you know when you watch kind of sports commercials or you watch um you know even yeah, like even te technology, like everything's just like, you know, we are one, we are together, we are connected. I don't know, you know, it's just um, something I've noticed. And, you know, I wonder whether that kind of speaks to a wider trend in society. You know, that's a really interesting point, because as, as you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm probably talking about adverts maybe, I don't know, 6, 12, 18 months ago, you know, the, you know, the typical one where you'll see an Apple advert, someone's got green hair and doing something and someone else has got one leg and they're doing something. It don't, yeah, you're right. Maybe maybe it has been a, a a subtle change in that. And now maybe it's more around, you know, be together, conform. I don't know. I don't know enough about, you know, the ends of it. But I don't know where diverse, this, this idea of having culturally diverse ideas and living your own one true life. But apparently... Not if you don't want to buy into this, you're not allowed to do that. That is not the one true life you're allowed. Yeah, actually, I, I, just just when you were talking there, I thought of one notable contradiction to my theory here, which is that recent kind of, I think it was a John Lewis advert and there's the kid, I, I don't know whether it might have been pulled in the end because people made a load of complaints because it was like a kid who was dressed as a girl and he was going around like wrecking the, the house and stuff like that. Um, did, did you see that commercial? I think I might have picked up on, I don't think I saw the commercial, but yeah, I think there was a, I'm trying to think what the controversy was around it. I think the controversy was that it was basically kind of, um, it was almost like celebrating people just trashing things. It was just kind of like rampant, you know, just like, I'll just go around and trash the whole house and I don't care because I've got this insurance. I think it was for like insurance or something. So it was almost like putting <laughs> a course. bad message out there. <laughs> but again, like, it's like you're allowed to celebrate individuality in these very, very narrow confines. So for instance, you're allowed to celebrate like L LGBTQ. And or trans people, you know, like a kid wants to dress as a boy or a girl, you know, or mix it up or be, you know, whatever you like to something you're right i like the i like the phrase it's, it's within narrow confines isn't it you know you, you're allowed to have that debate 
in this particular swim lane. And if you don't agree with it, you know, you're the, you're the fascist and you're the bad person. But when it comes to other things like we're talking about, um, you know, your freedom to choose, your freedom to live your life, your freedom to your bodily autonomy, you're, those values don't exist anymore, right? We're only allowed to discuss it in these narrow confines of, you know, often it can be uh, gender or race or trans rights or sexuality or something else. It's okay to talk about it there, <laughs> but not in a broader in a broader sense across society where we've got some potentially really big things happening and, and civil rights are under big civil rights. You know, your right to work, your right to travel, your right to privacy. Now, nah. we'll just we'll just we'll just gloss over that bit. We'll gloss over that bit. Strange, 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 strange. Totally. So let's just uh, move on to something a, a little bit more positive, which is, you know, what we can kind of all be doing, because I always ask this question, mm. what are the things yeah. we can individually be doing? Because, you know, I'm very much on that kind of, you know, very like libertarian and some of my uh, ideas and, and concepts are a bit of a leap for a lot of people. Um, so, you know, I like to hear um, different ideas from the various people I talk to on, you know, what we can each be doing to try and build towards a world which, um, you know, it is in alignment with these kind of values that we've been talking about here. Yeah. And, you know, I think at a, at a personal level, I think, you know, in terms of the situation we're in now, I think it is find a little bit of courage. Don't feel like you need to comply. If you feel it's right to resist, do so. You know, and, not, and, and stand up, not just for yourself, but stand up for other people as well. Stand up for other people as well. You know, find allies if you can. Find people who think like you, you know, talk to people who think like you do. And it might not even be within your traditional sort of friends and family circle, but do find allies because there's an awful lot of people that feel like this. They might not even be expressing it at the moment, but they certainly feel it. So whether it's through traditional media, social media, don't be afraid to talk about what you think. Um, you know, and, and that really... It's about kind of the love, support, and humanity. You know, just let it shine through. There's more people out there than you think. Um, organize, you know, organizing is difficult. You know, it's very difficult to organize anything at the moment. There's no natural resistance here. There's any, I would see, you know, real big leaders who are standing against it. So that will come, but I think that's difficult. And what I would personally like to see, I would personally like to see you know, for professionals out there and i'm talking about the lawyers the doctors the nurses the politicians the, you know the people who are professional they know they're doing they know this is wrong they they need to stand up right they need to put their hands up they need to whether it's act as a whistleblower or confidential they need to stand up because we've got some real heroes out there in terms of you know people like um you know the doctors Malone, McCulloch, you know, McCulloch was on the Joe Rogan show, which is fascinating. There are some really brave people out there doing some really brave things. And I think if you're in that position, putting your hand up, somehow calling out what's really, really happening, that, that's going to help because that's going to inspire other people to do that as well. So when you see wrong, you call it out, not necessarily publicly. It doesn't have to be in a situation where it's going to jeopardize anything to yourself, but just find a way to call it out. And, and, and you know, I think that that's the way we kind of push humanity forward. It, and it, but it's going to, it, it's going to become difficult. It's become, it's going to become more difficult. I think. But I think it will win through. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I mean, um, you know, it's, it seems like we're kind of living in a world where just having 
kind of integrity and courage and kind of willing to walk a difficult path, but one that is uh, the right path and one which, um, you know, is in service of truth and, and, and integrity and all of these things. Um, that's just become quite a rare thing now. Well, and, it hasn't um, been needed. I don't think it's been needed. If you look at, you know, I was talking to someone recently whose grandfather, you know, whose grandfather was in the um, North Atlantic during World War II. You know, he was, he was a merchant seaman. I mean, he faced life and death every day, getting hunted by bloody submarines, and he saw death, he saw ships go down, and he did it for years. I mean, he faced life and death, and he did it because he believed in something, right? He believed he was keeping his family safe. Um, and anyway, I heard all that, you know, if you don't mind me swearing, at the end of, at the end of it, he just said, look, I think I can handle stuff, you know, you know, I think I can handle not going into fucking Tesco's. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if his granddad could handle that, you know, I think I can handle a few dirty looks at fucking Tesco's. I think... It's just, it's the simple things, you know. We don't, you know, we're not going to go to war. I don't think not yet, anyway. But just having a little bit of just being able to stand your ground a little bit, a good thing, and it'll make you feel better as well. Yeah, totally. That you know, I was talking to um, Sarah Plumley yesterday. I don't know if you know her. She was saying to me that very similar to what you were saying. Actually, she was just saying like it's such a small thing to, for instance, just just say, okay, I'm not going to, I'm yes. not going to put a mask yeah. on just for the sake of it. And, 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 you know, kind of perpetuate this, perpetuate this kind of fear campaign. It's actually a very, very easy thing to do. And as soon as you start doing those things, you can then move on to more difficult things, right? So like, yeah. it's, you know, it starts with that, but you know, like this conversation I had on Friday, I didn't win over this, this, this guy who wasn't going to let me into this bar because I was unvaccinated, but I certainly gave him, you know, a, a very, very like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I tried to, to speak to him just in the firmest and strongest terms possible to explain to him the kind of society that he was enabling and he was helping to, yeah. to create by his actions. And, you know, okay, so it didn't, um, it didn't kind of work. I wasn't let in, but the thing is like, I probably was able to step up to the plate in that way because in the early days I made that simple decision to say, I'm not going to wear the mask because it starts there it starts and now. then you can get, you can get more courage and more courage and more courage. And because we're going to need a lot of courage because there's more stuff coming oh, down yeah. the line, right? So yeah. like, we're going to need to, we're going to need people to have kind of walked that path as long as every day you're becoming kind of more courageous, you know, and, uh, uh, and, and honestly yeah. different, different, it's different. I mean, I don't know how you feel, you know, cinema, my, my partner, she's like five foot, nothing. Right. So, you know, if she doesn't, if she goes into shop on the tube or something, and she doesn't wear a mask, people go up to her and tell her to put her on often men. Right. So she's, you know, she's like a smaller, vulnerable woman. So she's like an easy target. For them. So it's harder for her. You know, they usually pick on the wrong person, to be fair. But, you know, it's harder for, for certain people to, to, um, to push back a little bit. So everybody's got their own lines. Whereas I haven't worn a mask for, I think, I don't know, probably 18 months or something. No one, no one has ever said a word to me. Never. And so, it, it, you know, it's, it's harder for some people to show. It's not just black and white. Different people face different challenges. And, you know, a lot of this does come down to bullying. We've given a lot of the bullies a lot of license right now to, to go out and inflict themselves onto to people. To, and they're going to do that to people who are smaller. Uh, a lot of women are going to face it. A lot of older people are going to face it. Um, but just uh, if everyone could take a little small step, perfect. But I do recognize that not everybody faces the same challenges. That's a really great 
point to start rounding up on. So um, do you mind just telling people where they can find you and also just any final words that you have before we wrap up? Uh, no, well, first, first of all, thank you very much. This is the first time I ever talked, so it's, it's been uh, nourishing as well as interesting. Um, I'm on Twitter. It's Aldous Mouse, A-L-D-O-U-S-N-O-U-S. You won't find me because... Um, I have a search suggestion ban, a search ban. <laughs> My account is permanently marked as offensive, uh, which is a classic, um, and various other things. So I hope you do find me on Twitter, um, but it'll be quite a search. But I'm out there and um, I'll hook up to anyone who, who believes the same as we do. Yeah, well, there will be a um, link in the show notes as well to your Twitter, so people can, can find you there for sure. Okay. Cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on and uh, we'll speak again soon. Be fascinating, Johnny. Really enjoyed it. Cheers. All right. Thank you very much. Cheers.